first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room. The intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And there was a lot of stuff this weekend, and it leads in to something I've always wanted, and this week we get it. A home and home show. Home and home is when I go on someone else's podcast, and then their host comes up here to the transporter room. Well, this week, it happens. And that more on that a little bit later. But over the week, I'm sure a lot of us are talking about it, and we can't wait to see it on Netflix all over again. The Dust Up at Abu Dhabi, Formula One season finale. Last Sunday, it came down to a one-lap match race between Max Verstappen of the Netherlands for Team Red Bull and seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton of Great Britain driving for Team Mercedes. They were deadlocked going into this last race of the season at Yas Marina. But Formula One race director Michael Massey got in the way again. After a crash with seven laps to go by Nicholas Latifi, it looked like the race would end under a safety car. But in a departure from the FIA rules, instead of letting all the lap cars unlap themselves and having to push their way to the back, Massey allowed the four cars between Hamilton in first and Verstappen in second to wave around. Now, at the start of the caution period, Verstappen took a gamble, went into the pits, got fresh soft tires while Team Mercedes, thinking Hamilton would finish under caution with the lead, stayed out. The result? The race was restarted with one lap to go. And Hamilton was a sitting duck. Just didn't have the tires. Verstappen took the lead and stretched it out to win his first world championship at age 24. Now, on that same day in DePage County, Illinois, there was a different championship that also featured a farce. The serious side was this was the USA Cycling Cyclocross Championship, and it was a fun, wild weekend of championship racing from the juniors to the elites to the masters. And if you like mud climbs on a road bike frame, it's Eden for you. And by the way, my goal for 2022 is to do a cyclocross. And when I do, there will be our onboard cameras to catch everything. In fact, when I do a lot of cycling stuff next year, my goal is to have Carly Cam and take you all along for the ride. But you know that every Eden has a serpent. And the serpent slithered in in DuPage County. A protest made by the feminist transphobes from Save Women Sports. Now, what did those merry band of misgendering misfits do now? Honestly, they made a rear end of themselves on Flowbike and ticked off a lot of grassroots competitive cycling. One official, Flynn Leonard, 
who's also the mountain bike coordinator for the Eastern Collegiate Cycling Conference, drafted a letter to USA Cycling that has now been co-signed by more than 80 competitors, coaches, club presidents, and team principals. Yes, they put their name on it, and we're going to be showing it. We'll post the letter below on our Twitter page, and the letter will be posted at Transporter Room 10 Forward. And that's an important thing. To quote Arizona State head football coach Herman Edwards, put your name on it. And the people standing up here, not only against Save Women's Sports, coming out and bringing their transphobia into this championship space, but USA Cycling also doing nothing. When Save Women's Sports has done this at their events before, they did it at an event a few months ago. The people saying that, no, this isn't right, and this has no place in what we're doing, they didn't run. They didn't say we stand in anonymity. They put their names on it. Unlike when Save Women's Sports last year sent a petition calling for the NCAA to end their inclusive policies, but they tried to hide their names. Then they got upset when the NCAA revealed their names. Put your name on it. An example of someone who put their name on it, I saw on Instagram. A guy named Keith Killips. Now, Keith Killips is the father of one of the competitors. Here's what he had to say. I'm going to read this in full. Today I was blessed to once again see my oldest transgender daughter in a cycling race. This is not just any cycling race. This is cyclocross, and this was the cyclocross nationals. Without question, an extremely physically demanding sport, few would even contemplate trying. As I moved around from location to location on the course to be in position to do what all engaged parents and friends do, scream out words of support and encouragement. At one of the spots I was at waiting, I turned around and I could not believe what I was seeing. I immediately felt this incredible pain in my spirit that resonated to my heart. Anger set in, then protection mode, then back to rationalization after a few moments away crying. I could not believe anyone would be so cruel as to hold a banner and a flag as racers pass just inches away. I believe these types of people lack the compassion needed to make our world a better place. These symbols and expressions of hate create strife and unnecessary pain. I knew I could have simply walked over and grabbed the ignorant symbols or stood in front of them. I also knew my daughter most likely already saw them on her first pass by. What I did learn today after talking to my daughter after the race is she is far stronger than I ever knew. It takes incredible strength and wisdom to push past these types of people. This is not the first time nor will it be the last when people like this eagerly show their lack of compassion, knowledge, or understanding. We have seen it throughout our sports history. What I can tell for absolute certainty is my daughter's heart, soul, and spirit are stronger than a poster and flag expressing ignorance and hate. And if you think she's going anywhere, think again. I've seen firsthand what this woman is capable of, and it's just the beginning. This man's daughter's name is Austin Kellogg. She had a dang good weekend. She ran top 10 in the elite event at Nationals. And she's on her way to Europe to do some more racing. You see, when you have values of honor, integrity, and community, you don't have to hide. Again, unlike an anti-trans group hiding their allegiance, and by the way, two of the people that signed that letter are also members of a group claiming to try and find a middle way and middle ground. 
one of the other signees of what Save Women's Sports tried to hide from last year is also a hired gun for one of the premier anti-LGBTQ lobbies in this country, the Heritage Foundation. Now, this story and the offshoot of this protest, we're going to be following it. But this is just another example of what we've seen in the sporting landscape throughout this year, through the Olympic Games, and what we've seen flare up in the last couple of weeks with the continual strum und drang over University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas. Now, I want to point out some more people who didn't stay silent. I, I want to point out some colleagues of mine at Outsports. Outsports, they've been some allies they continue to be. Alex Reimer had this front and center on the sports kiki over the weekend. I was really grateful that Alex did that. And it was an offshoot from a column that Sid Ziegler wrote late last week. And we're going to have this column posted as well. And it was a column on how the right-wing run-and-gun anti-LGBTQ media, and they know who they are, you know, the Outkicks, Blazes, Breitbarts, Fox News, et cetera, et cetera, how they have really grabbed the microphone in this moment to spread a lot of hate and hysteria, and how LGBTQ organizations especially need to stand up and be counted. Now, the Human Rights Campaign put up a post of support for Lee on their social media earlier this week, but when the transphobes came to comment, it seems that that post was taken down. And that's exactly what you don't do. You can't just duck out into the sidelines. There is a time when you've got to turn your shoulders to the tackler and you got to run through it. And Sid also pointed out another group that needs to stand up, and that's the NCAA. And part of the reason why Sid put that in there was because Sid and I talked about it and I told Sid no. It isn't just on LGBTQ organizations. This is also on the NCAA. Since 2011, the NCAA has had policy on transgender student-athletes being a part of the competition. And this policy has been in effect throughout that time. And I think in this situation, it is not up to a 22-year-old college senior to stand up for herself. Just like it wasn't up to a 21-year-old college senior named C.C. Telfer to have to continually stand up for herself and for her school to stand up with her. The officials and the people in Indianapolis have got to open their mouths. An NCAA representative should have been on a commsat all over the place in these last couple weeks and give the facts and say, no, no, no. This is what our policy says. This is what Leah Thomas has adhered to. She is fully eligible by the rules and regulations of the NCAA. She is eligible to race, and that's what she's doing. And if you want to see more of her, watch some more Ivy League swimming, or better yet, she'll be at Nationals in Atlanta. You can catch her there. Done. End of story. Shoutouts this week. First, to the moms of Colorado State tight end and 2021 John Mackey Award winner, Trey McBride. Alex had an item on this in Sports, and we're going to post the video of the announcement below. You know, McBride's moms set up this sweet, sweet little, shall we say, ruse leading up to the announcement. It's worth a watch, and just a note, you might get a little misty-eyed. 
A shout out to Ken Schultz for this article. And another shout out, Tom Daly, the British diving champ, had a little review of his knitting collection because you know, man's pretty good with the needle and thread. Hey, 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 you know, Tom, you know, you know, I, I would kind of like a cardigan. You know, I would, I would look smooth in a Tom Daly cardi. Hashtag just saying, let's make that happen, shall we? Also a shout out to brave American gymnast. Survivors of one of the worst sexual abuse cases in sports. Those gymnasts reached a settlement with USA Gymnastics in the Larry Nassar situation. They're set to receive a $380 million settlement. Over 500 girls and women were affected by that entire situation over a period of years, including some of the biggest names in the sport in recent years. Rachel Den Hollander, a Nassar survivor and a member of a survivors committee involved in the negotiations, said this to the New York Times, quote, no amount of money will ever repair the damage that has been done and what these women have been through. But at some point, the negotiations have to end because these women need help and they need it right now. And final shout out to Sam Kerr. Now, during a match in the UEFA Women's Champions League between her side Chelsea and Juventus in London last week, some fan decided to invade the pitch. Well, the Australian star wasn't having that. She channeled some old school Baltimore Colts, mag dog Mike Curtis energy, and got this guy with a shoulder lick that put him on the grass until the security and the bobbies arrived to make that arrest. Now, Kerr got a yellow card for this. And yeah, maybe she didn't have to put him on his back, but Sam, I understand. To quote Chelsea manager Emma Hayes after the match to ESPN, he could have waited until the end for a photograph if he really wanted one, but jokes aside, we have to think about player safety. And that's exactly why UEFA and the FA need to waive that yellow card immediately and start beefing up some security for the players. The last thing we need is another Monica Sellis getting stabbed in the back incident on a soccer pitch. The invasions are getting out of hand, especially in the women's game. Come on, UEFA. Don't make another Sam Kerr do what your stadium security needs to be doing. Hear those red alert sirens? You know what that means. Time for a break. Give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, finally, a transporter room, home and home, with a guest I really enjoy, and I think you will too. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the transporter room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and at long last, I get to do something I've always wanted to do with this show. I've always wanted to do what I call a home-and-home home series. That is when I go on someone else's podcast, and then I invite them to be beamed up here to the Transporter Room. Well, somebody whose podcast I respect and admire very much finally took me up on that. For the last three years, 
Phoebe Rose, an enterprising YouTube personality and podcaster from the southeast of England, has put together a nice little series called Transition Stories, where she gathers transgender people from all walks of life and all over the world to just talk about how they got from A to B to T. Trans people telling their stories in their own words. One thing about Phoebe, she's a really good interviewer. I'm talking a Dimbleby Paxman level interviewer. And I'm glad to have done her podcast a few weeks ago. And I'm glad to invite her ear to the transporter room today from the southeast of England. We're beaming her up. Phoebe Rose, energize. Well, hello. That was very grand. Well, you know, my ego enjoys that kind of grandiosity because if you know anything about me, you don't just get one person when you're interviewing me. You get me and my ego interview in, in <laughs> an interview. And when I'm interviewing, you, you're interviewed by one me and my interview at the same and my ego at the same time because these are the ways that I I, I manage to you know give myself that sense of grandiosity that you know Paxman has and Dimbleby has or, or or even the great Sir David Frost has. I was about to say, Sir David. I was about to say, Sir David. Yep, there, there are Sir. There's some, there's some frost in there. But, baby, welcome to the transporter room. It's good having you here, and we've got to talk about it right off the jump, because I know you're a Grand Prix racing fan. So before we get deep into it, what in the world happened in Abu Dhabi? What? In the, in the, in the, in the words of G Generation X, I got two words for you. Sack Massey. <laughs> Pretty much. That was that, that was, was ridiculous. Dreadful. He's been getting away with it all season long. He's been atrocious all season long. You go back to Azerbaijan. He was atrocious in Azerbaijan. Go back to Belgium. Finally, there's a race more farcical than the 2005 United States Grand Prix. Go to Brazil. He doesn't know how to initiate an investigation. Go to Saudi Arabia. What was that storm of a nonsense in a bag of poo? <laughs> and then we have this monstrosity. That was nonsense. Nonsense from the beginning to the end. So... It was nonsense at turn seven, and it was nonsense on the final lap. That race, in my opinion, should have been red flagged or finished under the safety car. Full stop. What made you start Transition Stories? There was a man that wanted to interview me about my deconversion from religion. I went on his show. He was a lovely interviewer. Neil Bernstein, known as the 604 Atheist, wonderful man, interviewed me. And I went, bloody good idea he's got going around here. And I spoke to a wonderful trans man friend of mine, and we got chatting. He does jujitsu, so, you know, he's a bit of a feisty character. And Torben said to me, Put a mouth on you. Why don't you interview me? You're all right then. And then it was born. I sat down one day and just went, 
hello, we're going to interview you today. Well, hey! And that's where it all started. Student Dr. Ben turned around to me and said, yeah, I'll be the first person on your show. And I went, yeah. And then other people said that they'd be on my show too. And then more people wanted to be on my show. And it was one of these things that is like, I thought I'd maybe get like, you know, half a dozen people and it would just, you know, go away after that. I'm finishing the current series and I've got people lined up for the next series. I'm booked out of December and I'm booking into January and February interviews now. And I, I was planning the most recent series to go once a week. Last week I did two interviews. I've got another interview this week. I've got four interviews, five interviews over the Christmas and New Year period. And then I've got another interview when I come back off of my vacation. So there are trans people out there. And some of the interviews I've got coming up are unique and diverse people who are very special to me in my life. And some of them are people who I'm meeting for the very first time. And I started it as a not every trans person looks like me. I am the whitest, most binary trans woman you could ever imagine. The most middle-class, tea-drinking, English-accented woman that lives in suburbia that you could ever imagine. Drives I got nice that car, right. <laughs> owns a dog, has a garden, rides a bicycle, you know, recycles and everything. Does everything that, you know, is, is in that stereotype. And... Right from the very first interview, I wanted it to be, yes, people like me exist, but people like me aren't the only people who are trans people. So I've had you on. You most definitely do not look like me. For those of you who are unaware, I'm about as white as, you know, freshly driven snow. And Carly, we're, 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 we're getting to the polar opposites here in, in this case. Yeah. By the way, enjoyed being on the show. That was wonderful. By the way, we're going to be posting. We're going to be posting that show right under this one at our Twitter page, and I'm going to be posting this at Transporter Room Ten Forward, our inst our new Instagram site. So you're going to get to see the home and home here. But one thing I've noticed is that you've had you've had a group of guests that run the gamut. Um, you've had you've had other YouTubers, you've had influences, you've had a number of sports figures like Blair Hamilton's been been on your has been in your yeah, interviewing pad. Is, and is, Natalie is, Washington has been yes. in your interviewing chair. Yes, she has. A secret when it comes to Blair Hamilton that I managed to get her on my show. She's the best friend. So, you know, I just went to her, Oi, want to be on my show? And she went, Do I have to? I went, you don't really have a choice. So yeah. <laughs> So that, that kind of helped because Blair was the second person that I interviewed because I wanted to give a distinct contrast with my first and second interview. And I thought having a trans man as the first interview and a trans woman as the second interview, you couldn't get much different. A An American trans man of Danish descent on the one hand, and the most Scottish human being you're ever likely to find gracing the green earth that we've got going around us as my second interview. And I have interviewed some wonderful people. And it joys me that I get to interview these people. But one of the 
most difficult interviews that I've done was one of my more recent interviews. And I was interviewing a woman that goes by the name of the Lavender Lady. And it was part of a 24-hour marathon stream we were doing for her. So a group of us all got together. And it shows you that the trans community really does exist. To all of the people out there that say there is no trans community, you have no idea what you're talking about. There really is a trans community out there. Trans people really do look out for each other. And anybody that says trans people are just a conglomeration of individuals that don't have anything in common, you are talking out of your backside. Diana, the lavender lady, she has late-stage renal failure. She needs a new kidney. So recently, a group of us all got together and we started at midnight Eastern Standard Time and went through to midnight Eastern Standard Time. And we just did stream after stream after stream for her. We played games together. We did weird and wonderful nonsense together. I interviewed her as part of the show. She even got an after party. She was the very first person that ever got an after party. And we raised over two and a half thousand dollars in one day for her fund to go towards getting a new kidney. Because we see her as part of our community and we want her to stay in our community. And you look at us all. You've got a lot of people that I've interviewed. So you've got student Dr. Ben, you've got me, you've got B. But then you have our friends who aren't trans as well, that have come in as well and gone, we love you as well. And that was one of the most difficult interviews for me to do because I knew how much was riding on that one interview. Very few interviews do I actually get something in me and I, I get that Murray Walker moment that there's a little lump in my throat. And this one I got that because I knew how much it meant to everybody in my community, this one interview, because Jana is a, she's a trooper and she's a great human being. And we were doing it as a community together. How much more of what you're doing on Transition Stories takes on an even greater focus, given that, hey, you're based on Turf Island. Well, yes, this is, this is very much so the case. Those of you who are unaware of the uh, intimacies of Turf Island and you haven't heard the previous interviews with wonderful human beings from Turf Island, such as someone from the southwest of England who shall remain totally nameless, Katie Montgomery, totally nameless. <laughs> she puts it better than I can because she's one of these members of the Twitterati that, you know, engages in the trenches far more than any person is sane to do. She has more energy in that field, but I sit down and do the interviews and I've got more energy in, in my field. So the thing that you have to remember about Turf Island is that there is an institutional, top-level, 
disgust of the existence of non-cisgendered people in the UK. It is designed systematically to be as intimidating, as destructive, and as degrading as possible. I am going to reveal something. I hold what is known as a gender recognition certificate. Wonderful document. It says that the British government have said that I'm now legally a female because I went to a tribunal. Well, I didn't go personally. I wasn't legally allowed to go to this tribunal and wasn't allowed to take legal representation to this tribunal or be represented in any way. So I had to go in pro per, as they say. And I had to submit a 16-page form that contained my previous names, my birth name, uh, my birth gender, any marriages, civil partnerships that I'd had and that had been dissolved in marriages that I was in, any civil partnerships that I might have been in, assuming I'm not in a marriage. And if I was in a marriage or civil partnership, I'd have to get the permission of my spouse to say, yes, I consent to them getting legal protection in the gender that they are now living their everyday life as. So just think about that for a second. You're married to somebody who doesn't like that you're transitioning and is trying to divorce you. And it is a messy, nasty, acrimonious, drawn out, petty divorce. And you have to say to them, please sign this piece of paper that gives me legal protections in the thing that you hate most about me. Just think about that for a second. Just, just, just so think about it. Let me make sure I have this second. right. You mean to tell me that if you were married, an ex-spouse has to sign off on your on your gender re recognition certificate before you get it. Yes, if you're still legally married. So say you're not divorced yet. Okay. And you go through the divorce proceedings. Until you are legally divorced from that person, they have the right. No, 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 no. They have the obligation under law to decide whether you get recognition and legal protections as the gender that you are. So say, for example, I had been married to somebody and I said to them, look, I'm going to apply for this. And they went, nah, don't think so. I don't think so. I would have to go to court, divorce them before I could then go and get a gender recognition certificate. And here's the thing most people don't realize about a gender recognition certificate. To, to get a gender recognition certificate, I had to go through all of that. I had to sign a statutory declaration, which basically said the following. I was born as a bloke, and I, until death, will live as a bird. So if you're not a binary trans person, you can go and take a long walk off a short pier because the British government don't give a monkey's about you. They really don't, because you've got to be binary. So you've got to say, well, I was a, a female, I'm now male, or I was a male, and I'm now female. And if you don't fit into either of those categories, tough. But it gets better. It gets better. I had to pay for two doctor's reports. One was from my uh, general practitioner, so my primary care physician, and it had to list all of the procedures that I had had done to medically transition. So in short, you have to list 
So I had to get a doctor to write down that I've had a penectomy, an orchiectomy, a vaginoplasty, a clitoroplasty, and so on. And here's the thing. If I had a breast augmentation, they have to list that too. If I'd had procedures done on my face as part of my transition, they'd have to list every single procedure. And here's the thing. Because my uh, surgeon was in Thailand, they weren't able to just take the person from Thailand as, as read because they're not registered with the UK Medical Council. So I had to go and pay out of my own pocket to go and see a gynecologist who then had to confirm that I had had all of those procedures done and then submit that report to my GP who appended that report to their report that said I had had all of these procedures done. But it gets better. So that's one medical report that I've had to pay two different doctors for. And then I had to pay a second medical report that was from a psychosexual therapist that said that I really was trans. Why exactly does Her Majesty's government need to know all this? Because they cannot stand the sight of trans people. There are people in the UK government who are happily in bed with the Heritage Foundation. Well, we know who the Heritage Foundation is. If you hate trans, they'll put money in your hands. That's pretty here's much... The thing. Here's the thing, though. The Minister for Equality is happily in bed with the Heritage Foundation. Now, you're referring to a certain Liz Truss, I think yes, that is? Yes, Liz Truss, the uh, Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs and the Secretary of State for Women and Equalities. You're probably looking at the look on my face right now. Yes. And I had a similar look. Uh, maybe about a month ago when I had Katie Montgomery on the show and explained a lot of these things as well. Now that's kind of, now after hearing all that, I'm just wondering, do you, do you ever, as you're doing your interviews, as you're doing the interviews for transition stories, especially from other people who are in the UK, do you ever wonder at times like, why are we doing, why <laughs> when we're going why are through we all through this? Why yeah. are the hoops there? tell you why the hoops are there because it makes money for a lot of people simple as that it makes a nice court system bureaucracy it makes the gender recognition panel it gives them a nice tribunal seat in leicester it gives a lot of people a lot of bureaucracy to work through it creates nice civil service jobs that you know people can go and do and it also says ah yes these are the real trans people on this secret database because once you've got a gender recognition certificate, you go on a secret database of everybody that's got a gender recognition certificate. Now, here's the thing. The Gender Recognition Act, which um, created the gender recognition certificate, wasn't something the government wanted to create. It wasn't really something that they wanted to create. A woman named Christine Godwin, or is it Christine Goodwin? can't remember. One of the two. It's either one or two in the name. It's Christine Goodwin, I think, is the name. And there was a European Court of Human Rights case called Goodwin and I versus United Kingdom. And people have been trying for decades and decades and decades to get the UK to go, excuse me, please recognise trans people as existing. And it took until 2003 before the European Court of Human Rights finally took out their large hammer and went, the UK is doing it wrong! And then said, the UK must recognised um, people who have transitioned and undergone gender reassignment in their acquired gender. And that was in 2004. And I got my 
Gender Recognition Certificate in 2018. And the Gender Recognition Act came fully into force in 2006. And it is estimated that between 0.3 and 1% of the UK population is non-cisgendered in some way. So the UK has a population of roughly 62 million. So 1% of that is what, about 620,000? My certificate number was in the 5,000s. What's it like for you when you wake up and you pick up the sun or a Tory graph or the Daily Fail or you watch a certain morning show in Britain back when a certain person was on it? What was that like for you when you, when you see yourself and other, Brit, and other trans people in Britain, it just seems like there's an endless dogpile. Yeah. People say Godwin's Law is a thing. Those of you who aren't aware, Godwin's Law says that it devolves into comparisons with Nazism. But it really does. And as somebody who's of Jewish heritage, I'd have a lot more ancestors if the Third Reich didn't exist. I'd have a lot more. And I have personally looked into a lot of the ways that dehumanizing of Jewish people took place. And it's exactly the same. Dehumanization of trans people. They're the predators. They're here to steal your children. They're here to attack you in changing rooms. They're, They're here to wreck it. women swimming. <laughs> Weightlifting, swimming, I don't know what's next. Football, my one. Association football. Here to destroy association football, one goalkeeper at a time. Hey, they nearly did they nearly did that without the help of trans people with that super league thing they tried to do. Dear, 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 dear. <laughs> dear but we digress. We do what digress. is it like when what is it like for you when, for example, Pierce Morgan goes and says, I'm a pansexual parrot or whatever nonsense that he he's can, going to he say. He can say whatever he wants. And he is one of the most hated men in England. When he went and did his show in America, people in England rejoiced. And we said, you can keep him. And then when you sent him back, we were like, no, we don't want him back. <laughs> there are very few things that I will say that Jeremy Clarkson got 100% right. When he clocked him on the last flight of Concord, there was a part <laughs> of me that went, I don't like the violence, but there was a part of me that went, Jeremy, you got it right. Jeremy, you did something right. But it's because not just him. I know. It's all the press. And, and it's even the press that's more, even the Guardian, even the Labour Party. So the Tory party, the Labour Party. Uh, there's members of the Scottish National Party in Parliament who are openly transphobic. Joanne Cherry, paid-up member of the Scottish National Party, open transphobe. Rosie Duffield, paid-up member of the Labour Party, open transphobe. Jackie Doyle Price, member of the Conservative Party, open transphobe. Do you know what those three people have in common? What do White, they? privileged, narcissistic, cis, heterosexual women who have swallowed a rhetoric that is a rhetoric of hate. J.K. Rowling. This week. Last, last 48, 72 hours. 
She went there. Of course she did. Went there. But we know this. She can say what she likes. But I just wish people would give her no time of day. Because she deserves no time of day. Whatsoever. And it was telling when Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, and Emma Watson all turned around and went. <laughs> and that's that's one thing, but I wonder quickly. When you look at some of the things that are happening across on the other side of the Atlantic, and you've interviewed people close into sports, interviewing a Blair Hamilton, who's done a lot of work, and we're hoping to get Blair here at the transporter room soon, and getting the head of football versus transphobia, and you talk about the issues of sports. Yes, Natalie Washington. What are your thoughts on some of the things that you're seeing in the United States, especially when when sports seems to be at the center of it, even more so? If you're an openly trans athlete, you may as well just paint a red and white target on you. Because you're going to have the modern day lynch mob come after you, whether you're in a swimming pool, whether you're in Rhode Island, and you're just two people that want to run around a track whether you're in Texas and you just want to play high school flag football, you're going to have the nonsense-mongering brigade come after you just because you exist. Just because you exist. You had an entire state say that your existence as a trans person was illegal if you were under the age of 21. Think about what Arkansas did. Arkansas said to an entire section of its population, your existence is against the law. Your existence is an affront to the law. And we are going to take steps to eliminate your existence and make it impossible for you to exist in the state of Arkansas. I don't know of any other group that has had legislation passed to say that you cannot exist in any form in society except in the Third Reich. They may be strong comparisons, but the Third Reich killed people. Arkansas would have killed people with that legislation it passed if it hadn't been stopped in court. Because you would have forced children to go through traumatic things such as coming off of hormone treatments, coming off of hormone blockers, just like that. No, you, no grandfather clauses, no nothing, just like that. You're off. Now, think what that does to somebody's mental state to be told one day... You have access to the drugs that are keeping you on a nice level plane. And the next day to say it is illegal to you to exist in this society and your drugs, boom, gone. How did you find your nice level plane? 
And then I find my night at the front. After some very dark days, some schisms, self-reflection, and sheer bloody-mindedness, I tried throughout my life not to be trans. I tried everything to not be trans. I couldn't escape it. I first transitioned when I was 15 in the UK in 2004. Dad, you're a youngster. I know. You ain't even 30 yet. Yes, I am. Okay, you're a little bit over 30. I'm a journalist. I don't do math. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. You probably had me on before already because Katie Montgomery is one day younger than me. What was it like for you to, to, to slog through that? When I was 15 years old, there's no way I could even begin to conceptualize the possibility that, you know, that maybe there was this pathway. And I did it in secret. And it lasted until I was about 17, 18. And then I went off to college, university. And I tried everything I could there. The most masculine things I could find. I was one of those god-awful gym lunatics that was as bad as wide as a house. I came very close to getting married. I tried to embrace all of these things in my life that were the most masculine of things that I could do. The military, my university degree on a as an environmental scientist and agricultural scientist, taking up motorbike riding, just doing the most mashing things I could think of doing because I hated the concept of being trans because all you saw was headlines from the winner of Big Brother getting misgendered, this, that, and the other, and asking where her sausage and... Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Asking where our sausage and Brussels sprouts were. And the environment was so toxic. But I couldn't escape it. And then 2009 came along and I couldn't escape it anymore. And I took what I considered to be the only logical step that I could. And I lost everything. I mean, I lost everything. So I lost where I was living. I lost the employment that I was, that I had. And I lost my family. At one point, shortly after I had come out, my mother referred to me as a murderer. She said to me, you have murdered my son. I was alone. It was dark. Because I was presenting myself as homeless to shelters who didn't want to know me because I was trans. And this is before the times of equality protections in the UK, which only came around in 2010. And then again, only now are they really bedding in properly. But you have to make a choice. And I had tried to fight this choice for the better part of my life. And I knew. What I had to do was the only thing I could do. And I'm stronger for it. 
but I wish no other human being has to restart their life with just what they can carry and the money in their pocket. And that will always stay with me because I will remember that I had two folders with me at all times. One folder had all my documentation in it, my legal documentation. Another folder had all my certificates in it, all my education certificates in it, all my other certificates in it. And they were my life because I could prove who I was with those pieces of paper. And if I lost those, I not only lost everything else, I became a non-person in society because I couldn't prove to the government who I was. I would never wish that upon anybody. But I know that that fire within me from that will never go out. It will never go out, and I will never stop fighting to make tomorrow a better day for everybody. Tomorrow a better day for the child in Arkansas, for the child in the southeast of England, for the child in Russia, for the child in Japan, for the person in Japan who cannot transition because they've got a child and they're over the age of 20. Well, recently the city of Tokyo did go, did allow same-sex marriage. Hopefully, only, we're, hopefully we're making okay. a start. Only hopefully. because it was dragged, kicking and screaming by a court. Well, Phoebe, that's where a lot of it's going to be. It's going to be dragged, kicking and screaming in many ways. As I, as I described, the UK government was dragged, kicking and screaming to Strasbourg to change the laws so that people were recognized as existing as trans people. Because before that, you could not exist legally for a lot of things as a trans person. You couldn't enter into an opposite sex marriage legally. But you could have the legal fiction of a same-sex marriage because of their nonsense. I just want to make tomorrow a better day. Yes, days will be hard. And I hope that by showing the interviews that I do on my channel, I give a perspective to people who wouldn't otherwise get a perspective. And I learned so much from every person. I learned so much from you. I learned so much from the first interview. I learned so much from the interview I did yesterday. Every single interview, I learned so much. And that is the golden syrup that I'm swirling around every time and getting that sweet taste, even though it's a bit thick. And I've got to, I've got to, you know, really work to get to the nice taste. It bloody well tastes nice at the end because I'm learning so much and I'm growing as myself. And I hope that my interviews, one of my interviews connects with one other person and they go, wow, I can do that. I can be a medical student. I can be a police officer. I can be a journalist. 
and they're not held back by this arbitrary glass wall around them just because they're trans. And I hate that just because you're trans, you create barriers for yourself as well as other people creating barriers for yourself. Yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot of those things. Trans people, we can't we can compete as long as we don't win. Absolutely. Those sorts of things. And yeah. one thing, I mean, but these it's that exact things that you're talking about that made me want to be on your show. It's the exact things that you're talking about and the things I've seen. I've watched a number of your interviews. That's what made me want to be on it. Now, coming into the stretch run here, want to lighten up the mood a little bit because you told me, okay, I'm glad I'm not the only person who checked out the Cowboy Bebop reboot on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one, and unfortunately, I hear they've canceled it. So <laughs> I think it's a real disappointment that they've canceled it. I personally think it's a disappointment. It just needed a bit better writing because the actors, they were pretty good in my opinion. They knew what they were doing. I really like John Cho. I really did. <laughs> I really, no, I really liked the way he put together. See, I think it was good. I thought it deserved another year. Some of the, some of the writing was a bit woolly. Some of it was a bit risque for some audiences, but in Britain we just went, ha ha, it's a sex club. Ha ha ha, that's a dominatrix. Ha ha ha, do you get up? Ha 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 And that was wonderful to actually just see it done so casually. Because I hate this sterile cookie cutter it must fit in this conformity nonsense and I think Netflix have lost a cult show potentially in the same way that Fox lost the TV show Firefly Firefly one of my personal favorites so I'm just wondering quickly before we head out who's coming up who's coming on up your on, on your cast so one of my best friends, who's not a big internet personality, but it will be one of the most interesting interviews I've done, is a, is a man named Jack Atira. And this interview is going to focus on being a trans man who is HIV positive. And that's going to be one of the most personal interviews to me because I've known Jack from almost day one of his transition and Jack's known me from almost day one of my transition. We met about three weeks into our transitions at the same support group in the southeast of England. And we've known each other ever since. And he now lives in New Zealand. So he emigrated from the UK to New Zealand and he's HIV positive. And that's going to be one of the interviews that I am going to find personally it's going to be really fulfilling for me. That's one of the interviews that I've got. But one of the other interviews I've got coming up is a, is a woman named Reverend Callie. If you heard that correctly, there is a member of the clergy who is openly trans in the south of the United States who is coming on my show. 
and that's going to be a real eye opener for me as a as a somebody who doesn't do religion anymore, shall we say? And I'll tell you, there's a, there's more people than you think. <laughs> there's I know there's more of us, but no, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to all of them, Phoebe. Thank you for being on the transporter room today, and I'm encouraging you to keep doing what you're doing. I have a list of people in my head who I go, if I shoot from the moon, I'll get you. I doubt I'll ever get them on my show. But there's a list of people, about six or seven of them, that I just want to shoot from the moon to get on my show, but I'll never get some of them on my show. Well, If I ever got Elliot Page on my show, I'd just be going, yeah. Well, hey, if you, if you do, I'll be dang jelly. Um, well, I, I will be I'll be jelly because I've got that same thing bucket list of people I want yeah. and there I've got some people coming up and we've got people coming up but hey and if you ever do repeaters I would always want to come back so I've got and, a, I've got and I know we got a project we may be doing we may be that we're going to be keeping well, hush hush keeping that on the download but I say I do have a follow-up series coming up. So, for the people who are at the beginning of their, quote, transition journeys, that's going to be the next stage of what I'm doing. So, I'm going to be revisiting some of my earlier interviews. Is it like a, where are they now? How has your transition worked for you? And... My very first interview with student Dr. Ben, he's coming back on the show. He looks different. He sounds different. But he's the same student Dr. Ben, just with added testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that's I'm, I'm going to be going with some well, of the shows. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Hey, baby, you keep doing that great stuff. I'm going to beam you back down to the southeast of England. Can't wait to see what's coming up next. And I want to thank all of you for being a part of what we've had coming up and what we have coming up next here at the Transporter Room. And if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we're doing, please, by all means, leave a message on that Twitter page, leave a message on our Facebook, or leave a message at our new Instagram site, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Because remember, Everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper. Steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.